talk to the movers, shakers, impactors, and leaders that are getting it done right now in the real estate industry and beyond. I'm Marguerite Crespillo, your host, and I myself have been in real estate for over 25 years, selling tons of real estate, ran my own brokerage, and have managed to stay married to my very patient and tolerant husband, as well as raise six kids and now seven grandkids. So listen in and please comment on our blog at www.realestaterealworld.com. Let us know your thoughts and opinions. We love your feedback. And don't forget to share with your friends on social media. And be sure to subscribe over on iTunes, Podbean, or Stitcher. Hello, everybody. It's Marguerite Crispillo with Real Estate Real World. And I'm really excited. I know I say that a lot, but I'm really excited about this podcast today because I have to tell you a funny little story uh, I met John David Mann kind of by accident a little bit. I haven't met you live and in person, but I've met him. And uh, I met him originally because of the book, The Go-Giver, which is one of his bazillion books he's written, co-written with Bob Berg. And when he, we did the podcast with Bob Berg, I was so excited and I reached out on social media to John David Mann as well. We kind of engaged and interacted a little bit. And then I got to interview him. You guys can go back through past episodes when he co-wrote the book, The Recipe with uh, Chef Carol, which I learned something new and I never knew that there was a cooking Olympics <laughs> and Chef Carol was in that. And so I learned a lot of new stuff, but I'm so honored to have you here today. Welcome, John. It's my absolute pleasure to be back. Yeah, I'm thrilled. So I'm excited because you're back because you've got another new book, which is fantastic, that you yes. co-wrote with David Bach, uh, who I've known, well, I don't know him personally, but I've followed him for many, many years um, in a lot of the books he read, wrote. I mean, I remember like 20 years ago, one of his yeah. early books he wrote. And so I was excited when we got to connect again and you're like, I got a new book. I'm like, well, you got, I got to get you on the show for sure. <laughs> because, you know, it's funny, my podcast is primarily targeted to the real estate industry, but I do have to tell you that real estate agents as a whole are one of the top people that owe money to IRS. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they have terrible budgets and terrible financial uh, acumen, I guess is, is the good word you could say. And I see many agents really struggle. I mean, the hard part is we're in a commission-based world. So, you know, you have a good month where you make a bunch of money, then you have months right. where you don't make any money. So you're living on debt and all this kind of stuff. But before we dig into that, let me read your bio really quick. I just have some quick information on it. Let me get to it. Uh, not that you even need a bio or introduction, but let's read it real quick. So John David Mann rose to international prominence with his award-winning parable, The Go-Giver, co-authored with Bob Berg, which has sold nearly a million copies, wow, in two dozen, two dozen languages now, and has been hailed as one of the most important parables about business and life of our time. True story. By Adam Grant, give and take, and praised by the likes of Ariana Huffington, Seth Godin, and Glenn Beck, Glenn Beck sorry, the Latte Factor is your 30th book? You said bazillion. That's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 30th. 
30 is a lot. You know, I'll tell you another funny story is that years ago I met Malcolm Gladwell and yeah. I met him at a conference and he was doing a book signing and I embarrassed myself because I was standing in line and he was, he was signing his books. And I said, so Malcolm, I said, have you only written two books? <laughs> he goes, he goes, well, by most standards, that's quite an accomplishment. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I was really embarrassed. I said, absolutely it is. But my intent in asking was because I want to know what other books he had, right? I right, right. But I embarrassed myself. So anyway, 30 books truly is amazing, uh, far beyond two. And I know Malcolm's written, written a lot more books than that now. So and does some other stuff. But uh, it's quite an accomplishment. And this book is awesome. I, I have not finished the end yet. So you promised not to not to give away uh, the ending. This is perfect, actually. I love that you haven't read the ending. Because you know what, everybody else listening, they haven't read the ending either. So hey, Yes. Yes. And so let's chat about it. So I had, a, um, I, I was actually going through some different questions that we wrote down to talk about. And I, one of the questions was the book's dedication suggests that Paulo Coelho, who wrote the beloved fable, The Alchemist, played a role in the book's genesis. Yeah. And I've read, that's one of my all-time favorite books as well. I mean, The Alchemist is, everyone should read that book. Like, it's, a, it's a book like The Go-Giver. Isn't that on more, The Alchemist, isn't that on more people's, my favorite books list than, than like any other book? I mean, everybody says, I love that book. It's on my favorite yeah. books list. Yeah, everybody. It's, yeah, it's, like, it, it's definitely in my, in my top 10 books, uh, of absolute books you should read. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So tell well, me so a little bit about that. <clears throat> yeah, the story, I mean, I have not met him myself, but David certainly has, and here's what happened. So, uh, when The Go-Giver came out, um, this is like over 10 years ago, one of my first books with Bob Berg, as you know, when The Go-Giver came out, uh, I was unknown. I mean, I was, it was the beginning of my writing career. Um, David Bach was already a rock star, as you pointed out, right? His books, he was, his book, The Automatic Millionaire, had launched live on The Oprah Show, I yes. think on January 1. I remember. Remember that show? Right, right, with this stack of money on her table and everything. And uh, it went to number one New York Times list. It was in the New York Times bestseller list for, I think, 38 weeks or something like that, straight. I mean, it was just enormous. And then his book, Smart Women Finish Rich, which actually came earlier, was a huge thing. And he's, he had written, by the time he and I met, he had written many other books. He was a phenomenal rock star, international best-selling author, one of the leading gurus on personal finance. I did an interview with him for a magazine I was writing for before I'd written any books. And I, I really liked him. I liked his philosophy. I expected it to be kind of like dry monies, dollar cents, uh, you know, interest rates and 401ks and here's what you should do and strategy and budgets. Exactly. Uh, my least favorite word. <laughs> and it was nothing like that. He's in that interview. He said at one point near the end, he said, John, here's my belief. I believe that every one of us was put on this earth to do something special, something unique that only we can do. And the tragedy is most of us aren't doing it because we're too busy chasing money at the end of every month and leasing and loaning our lives my mission in life is to help millions of people own their lives so they can do what they were put here to do. I was like, I like this guy. <laughs> Although I, I didn't get to know him yet. I mean, we just did the interview and then um, I approached him along with everybody else that I knew uh, to give endorsements for the Go-Giver when it came out. He gave us this wonderful endorsement that actually went on the front cover of the first edition. And I think helped the book to, to, you know, to gain legs when it first came out. So I was really indebted to David. A few months after the book came out, 
David got in touch with me and said, you know, I'm watching The Go-Giver. And so people say, who are saying, I don't read books, but I picked up this book and I couldn't put it down. I read it in a weekend, you know, and, and David said, I, I've got, you know, over 10 books out there, maybe 15 books out there, and they've sold millions of copies. So tens of millions of people have read my books, but there's dozens of millions, hundreds of millions of people who are never going to pick it up and they're never going to pick it up because they just don't, they're not going to pick up this fat book on personal finance. They just don't read. Right. I want to write a book like yours. I want to write a book like The Go-Giver, but about the latte factor. Will you do it with me? And I was like, dude, let me check my calendar. <laughs> no, <laughs> yes. just kidding. <laughs> yes, I will do that. I will do that with you. Uh, that was 2008, late 2008. And then the economy, as you remember, blew up. Yeah. And it crashed. I remember well. And the real estate industry was one of the hardest hit. Oh, the real estate industry. And also, ironically, the publishing industry, because it, it, when Wall Street started to fizzle, New York started feeling the tremors, you know, very early on. And so publishing houses in New York City were going nuts. Um, advances for books started crashing, you know, from six figures to five figures to four figures to three. It was just ridiculous. And uh, so David went into a hyperdrive came out with a new book called Fight for Your Money and, and got involved in projects that, that had to do with the changing economy. And um, The Go-Giver was doing very well. Bob and I did another, we did another, we did another. I did more books, David did more books. Also, his publisher didn't want to do the, the, the parable, Latte Factor. He went to them and they said, nah, par parables don't work, which is wow. ridiculous, Crazy. but that's what they, that, he couldn't get a publisher, his publisher interested. So years went by We'll take this entire interview for this story. How's that? <laughs> My shaggy yeah, dog story. I do want to hear it. Years went by. And uh, again, all of this just grew out of that, that article, that interview that I did. And by the way, when I went to ask him for that interview, it was like, I didn't have any, it was not a big magazine. I had no, I had no standing to get David Bach to do an interview for my little magazine. Right. But you know, you, you never know till you ask, as you said you to me know. earlier today. So here we are. Uh, 2000, I forget what year, 15 or so, 2016. So recently, um, David helped Paolo Coelho launch a book in the U.S. Because David is a master of promotion. And he and Paolo went out to dinner one night to celebrate. And they had dinner, some drinks followed, apparently a fair amount of drinking followed. <laughs> and they chatted and talked and rambled on all into the wee hours. And and uh, uh, David said it was the most memorable evening, you know, one of the most memorable evenings of his life. And at one point, Paolo was asking him what he's up to or what he's doing now. And he said, I'm doing this book and that book. He said, but you know, he said, yeah, Paolo, I love you, man. <laughs> no, he didn't really say that. I made that up. At one point, he, at one point he's- that clip alone to David Bach. Here's the interview. <laughs> you know, it's about like interviews and like unicorns and daisies. No, um, I love you, man. he said, uh, he said, I've got this book. I've always wanted to write a book like your books, a story. Um, but my publisher, you know, isn't interested and I haven't gotten it done. And Paolo looked at him and said, David, you must write this book. And, you know, to me, it's so illustrative. It's so interesting. You can hear a truth that you've heard a dozen times before from other people. But when you hear it from someone that you look up to or someone that matters to you or someone that for whatever reason is in a particular place, position and time where suddenly it clicks for you. And, and we're going to come back to that theme later when we talk about the book. That's what happened for David. He went, wow, 
he's right. I got to write this. I should look up John Mann. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he, looked, he looked me up. He sent me an email like out of the blue after years of not being in communication. Well, we'd been in communication about other things, but he sent me an email and said, you still want to do that book? I still did. So, you know, we finally did after a decade, a uh, long gestation, we finally got it done and it's coming out on May 7th. I know. I'm so excited. And so I think it's funny is that you, so he knew and you knew the title of the book almost from yeah. out of the game. So like the, you know, like the go-giver. Yeah. Like a lot of times, you know, you write a book and you're trying to think, you know, yeah. what you're going to name it. But, you know, like my book, we've talked about it. It's yes. Going to be out soon. Uh, the, I am so in love with your book and I haven't even read it. Just the concept. I of it. I'm serious. I, I can't I wait. Am. I'm thrilled. It's called, just so you guys look out for it, it's called 100 Things I Love About You. It'll be coming out soon. But, so, okay, so let's talk about the book because we haven't even gotten to the book yet. And the book okay. is called The Latte Factor. The Latte and, Factor. you know, it, the story revolves really around kind of three secrets to freedom. So tell me a little bit about that. Tell us about the book. So first off, the, the, this is a book, um, the, the hero of the book is a young woman named Zoe, who's, I think, 28 years old when the story opens. And she lives in New York City, and she's got a decent job. It pays, you know, okay. Uh, doesn't pay as much as you'd think. And it, she lives in New York, which is expensive. Brooklyn, still expensive. And she's in this classic bind. Um, she's living paycheck to paycheck. She's struggling. Her credit card bills are, are through the roof. She's got student loan debt to pay off, which is a, a you know, one of the great evils of our time. And exactly. She's never, she never quite has enough money for anything. And she's working really hard, bringing work home with her on the weekends. Loves her job, loves her boss, but it's a struggle. And she's being tempted by this other job uptown, which pays a lot more, but she's not sure she's going to love it. And uh, so she's in this dilemma. She's on this hamster wheel, uh, rat race. And as the story opens up, she's walking through the Oculus, this, this amazing place in downtown Manhattan that uh, was built up over the ashes of 9-11. Of and it's this, this gigantic uh, subway exchange with a beautiful white marble building like a cathedral. She's walking through this place and she sees a billboard on the wall, a moving billboard on this LCD wall. And it shows a picture of a boat that's been shipwrecked in the middle of a desert. And it's like, what the heck is that? Kind of like the beginning of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, right? Oh, I remember, probably a lot of people yeah. don't remember that. That was awesome. I'm dating myself. And there's a <laughs> caption underneath that says, if you don't know where you're going, you might not like where you end up. And, and this thing is nagging at her and nagging at her. Um, and so that's where her journey starts. She's, she, she's, she doesn't know what's wrong, but there's something missing in her life. And what's missing is the life part. She doesn't have a bad life. She doesn't have a bad existence, day to day, week to week. Like it's okay. But it's like, is this what she's supposed to be doing? Is there something missing? And, and she is exactly that person that David described. She was put on this earth to do something and she's not doing it. Doesn't even know what it is. She's been too busy running this hamster wheel. So that's, that's how the story opens. The story of Zoe and this mentor that she meets, uh, an elderly gentleman named Henry. The purpose of this book is, this book will show you how to stop living paycheck to paycheck and finance your dreams. Not your 50 years from now dreams, not your retirement, which is a BS word that means what? Exactly, yeah. Word. I don't so know. 40 years from now in the future, whatever. But now, this year, this month, now, start actually financing the dreams that you want to be living really. Like your podcast, it's got the word estate, it's got the, but it's, it's got the word real in it, right? It's real estate and real, real estate, real what? 
Real world. Real, real world. world. Right. right. There it is behind you. World. Yeah, but the, the key word is real, right? And uh, that's what Zoe wants. She wants a real life. So, um, so as you mentioned, the book revolves around the three secrets, three timeless secrets of financial freedom, three timeless secrets of financial freedom. And those are the, the linchpins of the book. But it's really about more than, it, it is about how to manage your finance. It is about some simple changes in behavior, which if implemented can transform your life. But it's also about more than financial behavior. It's also about finding the, the real, finding what's important in your life and, and design the life you want. You know, it, it's funny that we're talking about this a little bit because my husband, Joe, who uh, we've been together for 33 years. Who, if I'm not wrong, you love a hundred ways. I love him a hundred ways, right? Not every day do I love him a hundred ways, just so you know. Probably have <laughs> more than book, one day. That's what the book's going to explain. But the, the reality is, is that he is now 66 years old. And I say that because when he was in his early 20s, he went to college to get a communications degree. And he wanted to do radio and TV and stuff like that. And he wanted to do comedy. He loves comedy. Wow. Well, life happened, right? He has, gets married, has kids, you know, right. life happens, life gets busy and all these things happen and your dreams get pushed back because you have to finance your life, so to speak, right? Yes. And they get pushed back. And three years ago, we had some changes in our business and he was able to semi-retire, so to speak. And I said, well, so for about six months, he hung out around the house and he says, look, I don't like to do housework or yard work or any of that kind of stuff. So I'm going to go find a job. And I said, well, instead of finding a job, what would you love to do? Like, what did you always want to do? And he goes, well, I always love stand-up comedy. So for the last three years, he's been going out having a blast. Are you serious? Doing stand-up comedy, right? Oh. And he's having more fun than he's ever had and having a total blast. And, you know, it just reminds you that, like, maybe what would life have been like had he followed that path, you know, 30 plus, you know, years ago? Um, but you know, it is what it is. And my point in bringing that up was not to, you know, kind of go into this wishful thinking of where you right. were. The point is you can start anytime. And I think that that's a key point in this book as well. Like there's nothing that says you can only do this if you're 20 years old or 25 years old. Can you exactly. talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, absolutely. Cause this, you know, David and I kind of targeted the book. The hero is 28 years old, right? So in, in, in one sense, we targeted it at millennials, Gen Z, so forth, young, young people in the teens, twenties, thirties. But on the other side of the coin, it's, you know, I'm a baby boomer. It's very much aimed also at people in their sixties and seventies and forties and fifties count too. Um, because, you know, for a lot of people they're saying, well, isn't it too late for me? It's too late yeah. for me to, to get, to get a, 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 to get a leg up financially because I can't, I can't save for 40 years. Uh, it's too late for me to pursue opportunities. I, I couldn't, I can't invest in, in the, in the uh, stock market and see what happens, uh, uh, you know, four decades from now because I'm already 60. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or it's too late for me to pursue what I love to do because it's just too late. Well, it's not too late. It's never too late. And you know, your husband is just such a fantastic proof of that. I mean, I love it. That's a great story. I mean, yes, you could say what would happen if, if he'd done this 30 years ago, but you could also say, what would his life be like if he weren't doing this right now? It's like, thank God he is, you know? Um, I, I, I'm in my third marriage right now. And my first two marriages both blew up you know, ended in divorce and, and uh, neither one was an extremely happy divorce. Uh, 
<laughs> if there are such things, there probably are. Uh, a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, a lot of grief, uh, a lot of regret at the time. And now I'm in this marriage that is like, uh, I would say it was made in heaven if that weren't a cliche. I mean, I, we've been married for 10 years. We were together 10 years before that. We just, every day is just like paradise. We just love time together so much. We're each other's best friend and we just, it's just deliriously, delightfully delicious. But <laughs> it's tempting for us to say we actually met once when we were in our 20s, just happened to meet at a party, didn't even know each other's names, just saw each other, like in a Tony and Maria West Side Story moment across the room. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and never met, and never talked, and it never happened. And it would be really easy to say, oh man, if we'd only met. But the truth of it is, that was then, we did what we needed to do. You know, I, don't, I honestly don't know if we'd be having the life that we have together now if I hadn't learned for my side, the lessons I learned in those, those two failed marriages. Were they failed? Well, they were in one sense, but we're where we are. And, and, and financially, you can be 60, you can be 66, and be in debt without a penny in savings, flat. And this book is just as relevant for you as if you were starting out at the age of 23. Um, it's, it's really about the behaviors that you, that, you, that you engage in every day and what they're fueling, what they're feeding, where they're going. So let me ask you this. Can you, can you tell us what the three secrets to financial freedom are, or do we need to read those in the book? Um, I don't want to give away too much. And it's not because I'm being cute um, or coy as much as that when you hear these principles, just as principles, it's so easy to go. Yeah, right. Got it. But you know, it's like when Zoe first encounters, yeah, it doesn't really sink in. When Zoe first hears this stuff, and this is a lot, this is going to come back. When Zoe first hears these ideas from Henry, she's taking it down, she's taking it in, but it's not really clicking for her. And in fact, she goes to this whole inner dialogue where, of, of, of doubt. It's like, I don't know, she's got this next door neighbor who, upstairs neighbor who thinks the whole thing is ridiculous. And she's not sure herself. In fact, no matter what Henry teaches her, it doesn't really sink in and it doesn't really click for her until she's having a conversation late in the story with somebody who is very close to her, somebody who means a lot to her. I won't give that away, but that's how it often is. And already, even though the book isn't out yet, we've had a lot of early readers say, wow, you know, I even read David's earlier books, or I heard some of these ideas before, but I've never implemented them until now. I read this book and like, it's a week and I've already implemented them and already my financial ship is turning. That's why David wanted to do a story like this. That's why, you know, a, a parable if it's done well, that's why a parable works. It, it, it makes these ideas real. It puts human flesh and bones and, and emotion on them. So, uh, but, but we can talk a little bit about the principles in the book. Yeah, well, well, before we get to that, the one thing I wanted to, you pointed out the parables. And I think sometimes you brought this up at the very beginning too, is that uh, some people might have thought if they saw some of the other books, oh, I can't get through all that boring, you know, mumbo jumbo about, and nobody really wants to deal with money anyway, frankly, it's not your favorite subject unless you have a lot of it, right? And usually when you're in a situation where you don't have a lot of it, it's the last thing you want to talk about. Right. And so looking at books that, you know, are going to remind you of what you don't have, <laughs> you know, to manipulate is not the best thing. But when you look at this book and you can hear kind of that, that story that you can relate to, like, I think that's yeah. key. And let me start out by saying there's a chapter in the book that's, that is, whose title is Don't Budget. 
And, well, and Henry, I'm going to read that one first. <laughs> and when they get to the when they get to the budget conversation, Henry goes. Uh, Henry's friend, who he's talking with, says, "Budgets. You know, the first thing you want to do with your budget is throw it in the trash. Piece of garbage. Piece oh. of crap. Forget about it." And Henry's like, "Yeah, budgets. Uh, it sounds good in theory, but they don't work. I mean, they they work for corporations. It's good for a for a government or a corporation to have a budget, but for human beings, individuals, that." Nah. Budgets, generally speaking, for most people, let's say 94% of people, don't work. And they don't work because they just, they don't fit human nature. That's why we hate them. And so first thing you have to know is that budget, keeping a budget is not going to be any part of this strategy. Well, almost uh, the minute somebody says the word budget, I want to go shopping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, hey, let's go to the mall. <laughs> budget. <laughs> Budget is a little bit like diet, but worse, because there's no food in there. Uh, I agree. I agree. So um, uh, here's a couple of things about, about the, sort of the, the practical principles, principles in the book. Um, in terms of things that you can practically do, the first, one of the first things, uh, this isn't principle number one. I'm not going to take with three principles in order. I'll let that come with reading the book. But the first thing I suggest, if you haven't even read the book yet, is to sit down and take a look at your life and ask yourself, what is it that I'm not doing right now? What is it that it's not in my life, which if it were put in my life, I would be experiencing unbridled joy. At one point, Henry asked Zoe, think back to the last time you experienced flat out unbridled joy in your life, whether it was a, a week, a summer, a day, a moment, what was that? And I would say to the reader, the same thing. When have you experienced flat out unbridled joy? Everybody has at some point. What gave that to you? What was the experience? What, what is it? Now, you know, you told the Joe story, which is fantastic. You're Joe. Um, you know, what gives him joy is doing comedy. Fabulous. I mean, he would have no problem with that exercise because he already figured it out. That's the first question. And it's it's kind of like saying, if you say, what is your dream? People tend to get like fantasy, unrealistic. You know, I wish I had a castle in the sky. Forget the word dream. What is it that if it were in your life tomorrow, it would give you flat out unbridled joy? Then we need to figure out how to put that, more of that in your life. Um, and, and I'll just say, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna, I was just going to say that um, there is a guy named Frank Kern, and I remember years and years ago, Frank talked about what is your perfect average day, right? right? Like people always talk about, okay, if I hit the lotto, right? Like I, I mean, exactly. if you hit the lotto for the first you know month or two, you'll you'll go nuts, right? You'll like buy all the cars and all the furniture, right. and you'll lay on the beach, and then that is going to get old. And it, people are like, well, I'd like to experience that, right? Yeah. But the reality is, what would your perfect average day be like? Right. Like, what would you do? Where would you go? Who would you talk to? Who would you hang out with? You know, yes. what things would excite your life on a just a normal day, not like some amazing day, right? And the secret, that's the secret of, of, of making all this work is, is the normal day, the everyday day, because that's where the answers are. The answers are not in some breakthrough quantum leap. Uh, majestic wave of the magic wand. The answers are found in the things that you do every day, the little things. So for example, you said um, you, know, about you play the lotto. Well, statistically, if you play the lotto and you win big, in a few years, you're going to be broke. In fact, chances isn't are, isn't it crazy? But it isn't just lotto. It's how many people do, have you heard of who suddenly made a fortune as a movie star or a rock star or a sports star or you know through some other circumstance or hit the lottery or got an inheritance 
And then after five years, they were worse off than they were before. So why is that? So one of the myths, there are three myths of finance in the book. And the first myth is that making more income will make you richer. Well, that makes sense, right? If you make more income, you're going to be richer, right? And it doesn't work out that way. What actually that. happens is, yeah, what happens is when we make more money, we spend more. We spend more money. Yeah, just the whole, our whole everyday way of, of behaving just raises in, in, in decimal places, but it doesn't fundamentally change its geometry. It's still doing the same things. Um, so pump in more money, you pump in more expense, and all of a sudden you owe more, and you're worse off than you were to start with. Winning the lottery for most people would be the most disastrous thing they could do financially because it would put them in, in true poverty. So the second myth of money is that it takes money to make money. You hear this all the time. It sounds so wise, doesn't it? It sounds like, oh, they know what they're talking about. Yeah, it takes money to make money. You can't make money if you don't have it. BS. It doesn't take money. Because yeah. if you believe that, what that tells you, what, where you go with that is, well, when I have a bunch of free money, when I have a bunch of extra, then I'll invest it, then I'll put it in savings, then I'll do this, then I'll do that, then I'll, then I'll fund the life I really wish I had. And that's not going to happen. Yeah. The, the truth is, it doesn't take extra money to make money. What it takes is changing these simple daily behaviors. Um, and that's what the latte factor is all about. So let's talk about what the latte factor is. Yeah. Zoe is standing in this shop looking at this photograph that she's lusting after. There's this photograph that's just gorgeous morning dockside scene in Mykonos, Greece, the island of Mykonos. This scene, by the way, is a scene that, that I, I saw when I was 13, when I went to visit Mykonos. Oh. Like a little, little, uh, little splash of my memory banks in, in the story. Um, it's like this magical place. And the scene is alive with color and motion and she can smell it and she can hear it. And oh God, she wants that photograph so much to put in her little house. Um, and Henry is looking at it with her and he says, you know, it is available. It's for sale. And she's like, yeah, well, obviously I can't afford that. Price tag says $1,200. She can't remember the last time she had 1200 She can't remember the last time she had $300 that she could just afford to drop without, you know, cutting off on her foot. On a photograph, right? Yeah, on a photograph. So forget it. And Henry nods at her coffee that's sitting in her hand or in a paper cup and says, if you can afford that latte, you can afford that painting or that photograph. And she's like, what are you talking about? And so he just points out the coffee you're drinking. If you made that coffee at home rather than buying it here at the coffee shop where it costs three and a half bucks, four bucks. If you put that, if you redirected that three or four bucks into an account every day, let's just say theoretically into your, into Zoe's photograph account in the course of a year, four bucks, you know, it would add up to the cost of the painting. And she realizes, holy cow, you know, it's a year. He's saying this coffee could buy that photograph in a year. Um, and the point is not, well, you can't buy coffee at Starbucks. The point isn't you can't buy luxuries. The point isn't you can't spend money on yourself. And the point, ye gods, is not budget. <laughs> the point is, is simply that with a little awareness, if we notice where we're actually spending money, not to budget, but just to tabulate, look at where the dollars are going, not the big expenses, not the mortgage, the car, the transportation, the things that are, are, are big or that are essential, but the little things that we don't even think about. If you look at all those, what if you redirected some of that, that expenditure away from things that you enjoy, but they're not, they, you know, they're not, you could do without toward things that would transform your life, like 
doing comedy, like that photograph, like, you know, taking your family on a vacation that you could never afford because you never have the extra money or whatever it may be um, to upgrade your house, you know, to, to whatever the dream is, whatever the, whatever the experience is. That's the latte factor. It's becoming aware of the power of little things, aware of the power of not, of not a million dollars, but the power of a dollar, the power of $5, the power of $10. As Henry says in the book, $10 a day can change your life. Because that's all that ever really does change your life is the little things we do every day. That's what, I know you know this, that's what builds a marriage, right? It's the little uh, things you say to each other every day. It isn't the grand gesture. It isn't the diamond ring. It isn't the roses once a year. It isn't the fancy night out. It isn't even the vacation. It's what you say every morning when you wake up. It's what you say every morning when you come back from work or whenever it is. It's the little things you do every day. That's what builds your reality. You know, I, I can't even say how valuable that is in so many areas of life, right? Like, you yeah. know, when it comes to money, like I, I have an interesting story. I have a, a good friend of mine. She's been a nanny for 25 years and she doesn't make a ton of money. I mean, I don't even know what she makes, but I know she doesn't make very much money at what she does. Yeah. And I could not believe it when she told me a couple of weeks ago that they paid off their house in 17 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm not even close to paying off my house and I make way more money than she right. makes. Right. You know? Right. So it, it was a focus for her and it was important <sighs> to them to pay off their house. She paid her off, off her house in 17 yeah, fantastic. She makes barely above minimum wage. I mean, I, I would say she does not make a whole lot of money, but it was the yeah. little things, like you said, it was the little, she all, and I said, well, what did you actually do? She goes, all I did was I paid, you know, a couple hundred dollars extra a month on their mortgage. Or I think she said she paid $127 extra is actually what it yeah. came out to Amazing. on her mortgage. She paid yeah. her mortgage off early. Yeah. And yeah. I dropped all my notes. So hang on a second. <laughs> That's okay. I'll just riff on what you just said, which is, you know, the, the, a book came out in the nineties. I forgot what year exactly called the millionaire next door. And I've been oh, amused. Yeah. A lot of people have, have said to me, David Bach, yeah, Millionaire Next Door. I love that book. Actually, David did not write that book, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> but it's very similar to his book, so I can see why people make that leap. Um, uh, the Millionaire Next Door, basically what they're finding, the two authors, what they're finding was, was that, I forget the numbers, but an enormous number, a majority, a great, unexpectedly high proportion of millionaires in America were people who you know, you'd never guess that people like your next door neighbor. They don't drive a fancy car. They don't live in a big house. They don't dress with expensive clothes. They don't go out to eat a, a ton. They're, you know, they, they're like Warren Buffett, right? <laughs> with his pickup exactly. truck. Isn't that and, so funny? And here's the cool thing. That is not the exception. That is the norm. Millionaires, uh, uh, you know, at one point, somebody in, in the book asked Zoe, when I say millionaire, tell me what you think. And Zoe think, well, you know, somebody who, who, has a fancy car, big house, it's a lot of luxuries. And she says, yeah, actually, it's actually the opposite. It's the people who, who are broke, who are always have luxuries <laughs> in the fancy car. Yeah, and well, it's they live the within their means, right? And yeah. I think that, you know, that's what has, has troubled a lot of our society is trying that keeping up with the Joneses, right? And yes. I mean, I'm guilty of it. I'm far from, uh, you know, perfect so, in this arena. So what's beautiful about David's work, and if I may say about the latte factor, is that it shows you some simple mechanisms for putting these ideas into place. And I'll give you an example. When I started working with the book with David, I mean, I'm not new to these ideas, right? But there are things that he says that I just never done. And, and I realized that one of the reasons that people don't 
set aside money toward their photograph account or their stand-up comedy account or their vacation account or whatever that is. Um, is because mo in most cases it's called a retirement account and retirement is meaningless. Um, for most people, until you identify what has meaning to you, you won't change any action toward that, toward that behavior. And if, uh, if, if some advisor tells you, well, you should be putting X, Y, Z every month before taxes, when you take out your paycheck, your whatever, put it into a 401k or a SEP 401 or whatever into your retirement account. You know, I've never done that because it was never meaningful to me. I don't ever plan to retire, quite frankly. My father never did. He retired when he was dead. You know, he just loved his work. He was a, he was a musicologist, a scholar, and he was working on a manuscript until his until his final final uh, weeks. I'll be the same. I'll be writing books, composing music, you know, until the day that my that my eyes roll up. Yeah, I'm not going to retire. But my wife and I, when we spoke, started identifying things that we. Want to be doing that we weren't doing that. Special fast. We another living our life. We redirected that toward cooking together at home. And instead of going out like three times a week or twice a week, we would go out like you know once a month. And I cannot even tell you the the thousands of dollars we saved just in year one. And where did it go? Into this investment vehicle which is earmarked toward, you know, toward those travels that we want to engage in. But also, you know, on a separate note, don't you think that that also strengthened your relationship so much more, right? Because you know I'm going to be calling you to get on my new podcast when my book comes totally, out. Totally, totally. Not only did it strengthen our relationship, but also, by the way, Fringe Benefit is better for us. We're healthier. Yeah, you're choosing, making healthier choices. You're thinking about it a little bit more. You get to spend more time together. And I think that really is a key because it, especially if you are in a relationship and this applies whether you're not, yeah. but are you looking at things that as a couple you can do together that right. could be more uh, conscientious where you could be putting some of that money away to do some of the big things? I mean, I, I, I want to go back to this one line that you said at the very beginning that she saw in the sign that says, if you don't know where you're going, you might not like where you end up. Right. And when we start talking about like what you guys did, now all of a sudden eating at home wasn't a chore that you had to do because of a budget. A budget it was right. now something that you were enjoying doing because you had a bigger picture in mind, right? Exactly, exactly. But and by the way, there's a whole chapter in the book that, that, um, that is basically around the theme of of money and marriage between a, between a couple, and whether it's a you know actually married or you're just in a relationship where you're sharing finances, it's the same deal. And you know the woman that is always talking to basically says um, money is the number one issue that causes problems in marriage, and it's not the lack of money. It's not the lack of money. It's the lack of talking about it. Absolutely. What what gets marriages in trouble is not short being short of money it's being short of doing it together of approaching it together because a lot most people simply don't know how to do it together most people have never been taught how to do it together that's why david wrote a whole book called smart couples finish rich and he does a lot of work with couples and how to but the, the woman talks about how she suddenly discovered when her husband uh, has a heart attack i don't know if you've read this chapter yet or, um, she talks about how her husband had a heart attack and almost died and she took over the finances and for the first time realized what a mess they were and um they started to climb out of the hole they dug 
together. And she said, you know, when we first, the first day we started talking about it, I felt like I was the richest woman in the world. Um, we were broke. We were in a hole. We were just starting on day one of our journey out of our hole, but we were doing it together. And we, and uh, it was no longer this dark thing that was sort of, we were not talking about with each other. And that is, I think, huge in relation to marriage. It's a huge thing. I can't even tell you how, you know, I see it tragically at the point where you were talking about where, you know, I'll get a call from a, a client and one of their spouses has died and now they're dealing with the real estate of it. And they're so lost and don't even know, you know, what to do because they don't even know where the checking accounts are. They don't know where, you know, there's so much yeah. information. And I just think that that's so valuable. If nothing else comes out of this book, which I know there's a million things that will, if yeah. people just start having the conversation, right, will be life-changing. It will it, completely change the trajectory of your life and your relationship if you just use this book to have the conversation. If people uh, start to just model themselves on, on what happens to Baron and Georgia, the names are in the book, um, and nothing else happens, just, just that, I'll be a happy man. Because, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's an enormous problem. And it's so simple to address, really. You know, and, and so this one question that I think it's one of the last ones is it says, you are richer than you think. Hmm. What does that mean? It really means two things. It, maybe it means more, but it means two things as far as I'm concerned. Um, and, and the first is, there's more, it's kind of what we, went, we were talking about going back to the beginning. There's more opportunity for flat out unbridled joy. There's more opportunity for the deliriously happy life. Um, there's more opportunity for adventure, excitement, fulfillment, satisfaction, etc., cetera, uh, available to you at arm's length than, than you might think. Um, that your ideal life, as you were saying earlier, your ideal life, isn't necessarily this completely unreachable, far away pie in the sky thing, that there is actually, you know the answers, you know the things that will make you, make you really happy. They're right there. They are at a, at, at a, at a finger's, you know, at, a, whatever, at arm's reach, whatever arm's I'm trying length. to say. Arm's length, thank arm's you. Length. <clears throat> the other meaning, so you, so you are, your life is richer than you think. And it's just around the corner if you, if you know how to go around that corner. The other thing it means is that financially, you're richer than you think. That is to say, like, like your nanny, you don't have to increase your income. You don't have to you know, have some investment pay off big time. You don't have to stumble across some uh, inheritance or lottery ticket. You don't have to have sudden new wealth or greater income in order to get ahead financially. You actually already have the financial means to get ahead financially. It's just that it's like you're filling a bathtub with water and meanwhile the drain is open. So as the water goes in, the water's draining out. We're letting too much water, financial water drain out towards things that are fun or nice or pleasant, but, but aren't essential, aren't meaningful, aren't as powerful as, as, they think, as they should be. And that we just spend money on because it's our habit because we've just never really noticed it. You know, that's such a great analogy uh, because, so here's an interesting thing and I, I imagine maybe they teach this somewhere or I heard it somewhere. So I recently had a situation where both of my credit cards, my business card and my personal card were turned in for fraud use, right? The bank right. caught some fraud on them. Mm -hmm. So of course they have to cancel the cards and send me the new card. 
Right. So fast forward and what happens is I start getting these emails and messages for all these little things that were randomly being charged to my card because my card's getting declined, right? Right, because right. I know. So little things like the annual membership to some website you were on that you haven't used in a year or, you know, a, a, a app that you bought and you forgot that it's charging you $6 a month. Right? Right. Like, right. Those are the things that really start to add up. And I literally, when that happened, saved almost $700 a month in little <laughs> charges and annual fees of things I had forgotten about because I was not looking. Isn't that wild? Isn't that it's amazing? Crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And, and even someone who's living, as you say, just about the minimum wage level, like, like you're in any example, um, you know, everyone's got, or not everyone, but a lot of people have some kind of financing on their dwelling, maybe some kind of financing on their car, if they have a car, which a lot of people do. And, and just in those two places, and a credit card, a third, a third thing. So in all three of those things, we're being charged lots and lots and lots and lots of interest, which you could cut buy a strategy like, like, you know, you said your nanny did. It doesn't take a lot of extra money, a little extra money. It takes time, but a little money, some time, and all of a sudden you freed up financial resource that you already had. It was just draining had. out the bottom of the bathtub. That's such a great analogy. I'm going to use that one for sure. Um, well, okay. you know what? I can tell you that uh, we could probably talk for days, uh, for hours and hours. But I want to make sure that people have the information on how to get this book. It's not coming out for 45 days or so. Well, 30 days, really, about 30 days. Uh, but there's some really cool stuff we were talking about before we got on air today that people can get if they get in early, right? They can pre-order the book. So can you tell yes. us a little bit about that? Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, David has set up this, uh, uh, this pre-order um, um, pre-launch team or launch team. He calls it his insider launch team. And you know, a lot of authors do this and I've seen, I've done it myself, Bob done it. I don't think I've ever seen anybody do, put on such a, a, an extensive, engaging, involving launch campaign as David. Um, it, you know, it isn't, if you pre-order the book at Amazon or Barnes or wherever you order books and then you, um, uh, you show your receipt, you, I forget how you do it. The mechanism is really clear on the, on the on We'll the get page. the information yeah. in the show notes. So people you, join, can have access. you join the launch team. Um, you don't just get a free report, maybe a video, you, you get just a ton of, of his resources from, from decades of his teaching. And uh, he, gets, he has gotten really engaged with this group. And I'll tell you, man, I'll tell you, Margaret, I've seen people get you know, 100, 200, 300 people in, in, uh, in their launch teams for their books. David's got over 1,200 already. Um, oh and, and it's like a living, breathing community. He's doing Facebook Lives with them where he's interacting. People are answering their questions, asking their questions. Um, that you know may not get answered in the book or may not get answered in the appendix, and he's answering those personally. And uh, he's going to do a live book signing at the Oculus, where the book opens in New York City. Oh, shortly how cool after, is that? Shortly after the book launch, yeah, which is going to be very cool. I'm going to try to get there for that too. Um, and he's just what I've realized getting to know David in the course of writing this book because I didn't really know him well before at all. What I've realized is how passionate he is about this mission of helping improve people's lives. And it's very personal for him. He, when you watch him on his Facebook lives and he sees, oh, you know, this person has, has just joined it. He's like jumping out of his skin because he knows that he remembers their name from this and that email or whatever. And he, uh, he gets so personally engaged and involved in the mission of helping people's lives just become better. And he's helped 
so many thousands of people oh. totally changed their lives. Um, he's gotten thousands and thousands and thousands of testimonials. And a lot of these guys are showing up and buying the book and talking with him. So it's a really fun group to join. It's, you know, beyond pre-ordering the book, it's just so worth it just for the experience of getting with him and, and being part of this group. Yeah. And so you can access that. We'll definitely put it in the show notes as well at the lattefactor.com forward slash insider team. Yep. And so you can go there, you can purchase the book, you can get all kinds of bonuses that they're offering and a number of other things. And I'll tell you what, I know for a fact, it's going to be number one, like the, no, that will not be a surprise. At all. <laughs> oh yeah. It's going to be number one really quickly. From your lips to Jeff Bezos's ears. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, is there anything else you'd like to talk to us about before we wrap up today? Because this has been a fantastic interview. I mean, I would talk, you know, about any, anything forever. I just, I really enjoy it. I'm sure we'll be doing this again very soon. I just want to say oh, that yeah. um, it, it, for anybody who wants to know any of my other books or anything, uh, um, all my books are at my website and you can go, go there and, and read um, you can usually download a sample chapter or two or three, uh, read an excerpt, get all the information about the book, links where you can order the books. It, all that information is there on my website as well as my blog. And the website is simply my name, John David Mann, two ends.com. Absolutely. And we'll be definitely uh, linking this up to the other podcast we did on Chef uh, the Recipe, which is a great book, by the way, if you guys want to read that. And The Go-Giver as well. So those are just a couple amazing of the 30 plus books you have written. And all I will say in closing is you are richer than you think. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today, John, on The Real Estate Real World. It's always a joy to talk to you. And I can't wait to talk to you guys again soon. Have an amazing day. Thank you so much. It's great. It's great to be here. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Be sure to hop on over to realestaterealworld.com and leave your comments or use our hotline at 916-905-6130. We may even feature your comments on a future show. Be sure to share on social media and subscribe over on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. Your reviews encourage us and help others find our podcast. For show notes as well as blog posts on hot topics, head on over to www.realestaterealworld.com.